0: Welcome back to another exciting episode of DSLR Film New Podcast, where I am messing around with two hands using multiple faders. I've also moved into a new location. I've got Mitch (laughs) from Planet 5D with me, and you can see piles of boxes stacked around
1: me. Mitch, what have you been up to, man? Hey, DJ. Good morning. Very good early morning to you, and congratulations on having a brand new setup there with lots of boxes and stuff piled around you. You're starting to look like a hoarder, man. You're a
0: hoarder. Oh, man. Now, as the hoarding goes, let me show you this right here, guys, so you can see what I get to see. That right there is my living room. So uh, if you like lots of boxes stacked up all over the place, that is what I'm dealing with. Uh, For those of you not familiar with it, I moved from a 4,000-square-foot studio to a 690-square-foot house I have a building going up in the back, but until then, I get to store everything in my living space. It's pretty freaking awesome. But on the bright side, uh, I have a landline now, so that's great. Yay!
1: I mean, that's 690 uh, what square foot? That's 690 small, huh? square
0: feet, yes. Um, I don't know what's going on in the uh, Portland area right now, but man... Everything that comes up goes fast, and uh, you kind of have to take what you can get. And so I bought a place that has a lot of properties. So I believe Uh, I got a contractor coming in next week to start breaking ground on a 60 by 30 foot uh, two-story building. And that'll go in back and then... I'll have my studio back, but it'll take about a month. you have to go through to do zoning
1: months. to get that done?
0: Uh, no. Thankfully, the place I bought has a 12,000-square-foot lot with a really tiny house on it. Wow. So wow. all I got to do is start building and then have the electrical inspected. Uh, probably in two to three more months, I'll be back to my normal state of having a full building and full area workspace and all that stuff. So that's really nice, actually. I'm I'm kind of excited to have that, and I'm glad that I was able to accomplish that in this area because normally that would set you back like $400,000. It's crazy out here.
1: Wow. <laughs> yes, yeah. That is crazy. See, that's what happens when you live on the coasts. Oh, you yeah. live here in the Midwest like me, you don't have to spend that kind of money on a house. But
0: I moved here in the winter and I didn't have to worry about anything worse than like 55 degrees most of the time. So, <laughs> you know, there's some trade-offs here, I'm sure.
1: Yes. Trade offs, trade offs.
0: Now, on that note, I'm going to skip the news queue and just move directly onto the news. Uh, This is basically going to be the all-about-Sony cast here. Uh, Mitch and I have all of the announcements, or or many of them at least, from Sony. And I'm starting here with the new RX10 Mark II. Now, if you're familiar with the original RX10, this was a great fixed-lens video camera slash uh, stills camera. The camera itself had a 1-inch 20-megapixel sensor, and you could shoot 1080p with a 24 to 200 millimeter equivalent focal range, and it was f2.8 across the board. It looks like Sony is finally going to upgrade that model and give it 4K. Now, I've got this in the show notes here, and this is something I complained about for a long time. The sensor and control system used in the original RX10 was also found in the Sony FDR-AX100, which is a 4K capable video camera, handycam, whatever, and it So basically, these two items were identical as far as control boards go, but... The RX10 original did not have 4K capability, and the Sony AX100 did. So now they're finally giving it to us, and they're giving it to us at a price of $1,298. And this isn't full 4K, but it is UHD, so 3840 by 2160 at 30 frames per second. No other frame rates available. Mitch, what do you think about the RX10 Mark II?
1: Well, this is the Sony show. Uh... I'm very with the way Sony is cranking out hundreds and hundreds of cameras, making it virtually impossible for any of us to keep track of what the hell's going on, except for you, because <laughs> you have all this incredible knowledge buried in your head about every camera known to man, apparently. Maybe I need to just start calling you the Chuck Westfall of the camera world. Oh, man. Um, I don't do know. You, Chuck?
0: Have you ever met Chuck? I have not met Chuck. I have not met anybody, Mitch. Every time you name a name, I just go blank and I'm like, I don't know. I mean, I meet a lot of people, but I have no idea who I meet half the time. So I so I for just those remember of you stuff. Who don't know,
1: Chuck Westfall is Canon's master of all knowledge. He is he's been there, I don't know, thirty, thirty five years, something like that. But everybody inside Canon goes to him when they need to know some minute little detail about some camera or lens or product that not product. Cause I can't include photocopiers and all those other kinds of things. <laughs> but uh, for example, Chuck Westfall somebody wanted to know what EOS stood for, right? I mean, they've been using it for decades and nobody knew they went to Chuck Westfall in order to find out the, story because it had gotten lost over time so what does it stand for eos is the goddess of light or something i've forgotten exactly now Uh, but uh that's where it started was was greek goddess of of light or something so everybody assumed it was an acronym and then it still i think is they've turned it into an acronym but
0: yeah i thought we thought it was like electronic optical sensor or something you
1: know easy like that yeah, see, we don't always know these things, do we? And, and it was surprising that I heard that story about Canon, huh. uh, about Chuck Westfall, um, especially. But anyway, Chuck Chuck's a great guy, I love sitting down and talking to him. He's the guy that does a lot of the interviews whenever Canon has a product announcement and stuff, so it's a lot of fun. He's a good guy, so so take it as a compliment if I'm just so <laughs> just to make that clear <laughs> now, he's. Chuck Westfall was very interesting, by the way. I mean, I'm getting a little off topic here, obviously. Uh, but And that's because I don't know anything about this particular camera. So I'm trying to stall until <laughs> we get to the next story. Uh, <laughs> Chuck Westfall was very much like Steve Jobs in that... Do you remember Steve Jobs had a fake Steve Jobs? No. he uh, What? You don't know fake Steve
0: Jobs. I know oh, very man. little about the mythos of <laughs> Apple in general, man. I mean, I know Steve right. Jobs existed, and he, there's several movies about him. None of them, which are licensed, yeah. apparently.
1: Yeah. Anyway, there was a guy who did a bunch of ranting and raving about Microsoft and internals and Apple and all that other kind of stuff. It went on for years. Had a website was called FakeSteveJobs.com, and and it was. It was very entertaining, and finally, about uh, I don't know, maybe ten years ago now. It was it was some time ago, but uh, it turned out to be a reporter somewhere that had been doing this incredible job of impersonating Steve and <laughs> ranting, and it was it was hilarious. Stuff. But there has was also a fake Chuck Westfall. And we actually did a Planet 5D interview with him before he ended up announcing who he was as well. So we, we set up, you would have really enjoyed it, because we set up the system where we did a, a live interview with him. Well, we didn't broadcast it live, of course. And, and I should say, any interview is typically done live unless it's text, right? If, if yeah. you have a video, then, then it's recorded live. Anyway. Uh, we did this interview, and he did not want anybody to know who he was. I, I, at the time, did not know who he was, even though we were interacting. He had a fake email address and everything else. But we recorded, uh, we did our audio, and then he typed into a computer, and the voice synthesizer repeat re- spoke his answer. What? So it was, it was really kind of delayed. I mean, it was like bizarre because we had to wait, you know, for him to type stuff in order to get the... <laughs> but it worked and we edited out all the the blank bits obviously and put together a an interview but it was it was rather interesting and we were i thought it was going to go viral you know i was hoping it to be one of those viral things that would take off but nobody seemed to care <laughs> That was, a, that was a really wild sidebar there.
0: Huh. Okay, so pulling us back to the Sony RX10 here. Um, I got no clue. Yeah, so one of the things <laughs> that I want to say about this before we move on to the next Sony announcement here is basically one of the big problems that they had with the FDR-AX100 was jell cam. Uh, the 4K 20, mega, um, 20 megapixel one-inch sensor was kind of wobbly as soon as you started moving it just a little bit. And the sensor appears to be pretty much the same in the RX10 Mark II uh so we're looking at 4K resolution with that camera but any kind of heavy motion or anything and you're probably going to get some jello cam effect i'm not sure if that's going to be A huge issue or not, uh, but it's something to think about. Maybe they've done something to correct it. I know in some of the other announcements that we'll get to, they mentioned that they have some sort of internal correction for high-speed shooting. So maybe that will fix that. Uh, For those of you looking for a camera that is all-in-one, basically what you get out of the Sony RX10 model line is you don't have to buy a lens. You don't have to buy a camera body separately, and it has full audio and video recording built in. So for a $1,200 investment, or I believe the original RX10 is down to like $890 or so, you get a full video camera slash stills camera with a pretty decent zoom range of to twenty four millimeters and at f2.8 with pretty good low light performance down to like 1600 ISO in a package where you don't have to buy an extra bit of lenses and everything else. Uh, This is a competition with the Panasonic FZ1000, which is their 4K equivalent, as I keep rattling off camera parts and names. But anyway, the RX10 Mark II, uh, only really exciting thing looks to be 4K shooting. And I don't want to bash on Sony ahead of time as we move through this lineup, but I think 4K, Mitch, is that kind of the... The key word you're getting here out of all of this, is there anything else super exciting that's really just like blowing your mind as you go through these Sony's announcements?
1: I was, I'm, 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 I'm blah, 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 blah. see, I'm blown. My <laughs> mind is blown. I'm just reading this uh, DP review article that you have, and it says down here towards the bottom that this can also record 960 frames per second. Yeah, I saw
0: that, and I don't know if that's fact or fiction. I'm going through, and I'm looking right now at the... It says it's
1: not 4K, of course, but if you can do 1080 at 960 frames per second, that's pretty whack.
0: Yeah, I'm sharing the... Right now, here's the uh, B&H page. It does say slow motion video at 960 frames per second, but I didn't see anywhere where it mentions actual resolution... Of that frame rate. So, and maybe I've missed that. If someone finds that in the specs, uh, be sure to send that in. Because I only had a. (laughs) Yeah, okay. So, this is it right here. There's. It's 800 by 270. Oh my God. So, (laughs) you know, a lot of times when you hear these amazing frame rate announcements, they're not really doing what you think they're doing. (laughs) I mean, what are you going to do with that? There's
1: 384. (laughs) right there yeah right oh wait a minute what's it
0: what okay hold on oh yep mitch is right i'm highlighting it right here i missed this uh 1920 by 1080 at 960 frames per second and 480 frames per second and 240 frames per second holy crap if that's if that's legitimate and it looks good that's a lot of that's all the frames that is (laughs) that's cool yeah that is actually cool okay uh, opinion changed mitch has just uh, brought me over to the side i kind of you know th- th- now what do you even need a phantom for anymore if you can shoot 960 frames per second 1080p inside a tiny little camera like this if it's any good at all man imagine yeah. like this the slow motion balloon poppings that you could accomplish with something like this
1: yeah yeah, well, I'm I'm upset because it's not 4K, 960 frames per second.
0: Yeah, well, good luck with that. I mean, camera. Arca- <laughs>
1: <it's> arca- <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, at least it's not 800 yeah. by 270. I mean, <laughs> the, yeah, you had
1: me going there for a second looking at those specs. I'm yeah, like, well,
0: oh. and I was scanning through this, and that was the first thing I saw. And I'm like, what? Because you know, a lot of cameras they'll announce some fast rate, but it'll be at some wacky format that you you know can't really use for anything, like uh, early what? GoPro. I uh, had, um, what was that like? It was kind of like a cell phone sort of format where it was skinny and tall, and they could do higher frame rates at that speed, but it, it wasn't really useful for mixing with regular footage.
1: Yeah. Uh, why does anybody even put out a camera that has that as an option, 270 pixels? I mean, that's what do you, what do you use that for? I don't know. Uh, maybe. Does, does any editor handle
0: <laughs> <laughs> Well, if you think about scientific purposes, this could be like the poor man's uh you know slow motion camera and maybe right. 1920 by 1080 at 96 frames or 9 960 frames per second isn't as good as their you know cuz this is just advertising yeah. right now maybe it's like blurry right. or or crummy but maybe 800 by 270 is pristine and maybe, you know, in a scientific application, you could actually use that okay. to gather data about, like, a tripping operation of a breaker or, you know, the movement of a device across a plane or something like that. So maybe there is a reason to have that. I, I don't know, honestly. It, I would guess Good at those point. lower resolutions that you're going to get a better image out of the sensors, though. So uh, that that would make sense. I want to see it before I buy off on 960 frames per second.
1: Yeah, we tend to get uh, pretty excited about some specs until... You get yeah, it. And that's going to be true for all of the Sony stories we talk about today.
0: Oh, man. Okay, moving on down the line to another Sony announcement. Uh, the RX100, which is the baby brother to the RX10, is getting a refresh. This one's on version 4. Uh, this little guy will have the capability of burst modes at 16 frames per second. It's also capable of UHD 4K recording. Uh, other than that, it looks to be pretty much the same uh, internal uh, lens and pretty much the packaging of the uh, previous version of the rx100 uh, that was an f1 to f 28 and i forget the zoom range i'll have to look that up but uh yeah this one is was really popular with people because it's basically like everything you need for stills in a tiny pocket camera uh, this one's also getting frame rates too. I'm looking at the DP review article I linked in the show notes, and there it is again: 96 frames per second, 480 frames per second, and 240 frames per second. So, wow! <laughs> Are they what basing? was the price on this? Um, I think this is under $800, but uh, now I've got to actually look it up on B and H. Unfortunately, uh, I prepared you're
1: talking these. Talking the
0: RX10? Is that right? Nope, this is the RX100. Oh. <laughs> Yeah I'm and thanks Sony for uh, you know naming these things all something very <laughs> similar so we can easily find them and figure out yes okay so the price on this is going to be 948 and uh, the zoom range on here looks to be 24 to 70 and it's f1.8 to f2.8 so basically your perfect walk around field of view and a pretty decent wide-open aperture f1.8 for this guy. Although this is a one-inch sensor, so your field of view is going to be uh, quite a bit different than f1.8 on a full frame or even right. a micro four-thirds body. Uh, yeah, so this basically, the RX10 right here and I'm going to bring this up so everybody can see, or the RX100, now I'm getting confused. Uh, (laughs) The RX100 is basically uh, everything that you get out of the RX10 in a smaller package with a smaller zoom range and a different uh, uh, aperture setup. Uh, Looks like everything else is pretty much the same. Slow motion, again, we're seeing here. Uh, Looks like... um, High ISO levels at uh, 12,800 and 16 frames per second. I didn't check the FPS on the uh, on the RX10, but I'm guessing it's probably the same as the RX100. So, you know, this one's 200 bucks less, and you lose a little bit of zoom on it, and it's a little bit more petite. So, perfect pocket cam, Mitch? Yeah, it looks good. The RX100 was really popular because of uh, its zoom range and quality of lens, plus a 20-megapixel sensor gives you some cropping capabilities. So that's kind of nice. I don't really have have anything to add to this guy.
1: Have you seen anything, by the way, this used to be a big bash against the Canons and the bigger DSLRs um, with the 12-minute recording time, which they ended up bumping to 30 minutes. Have you seen anything? I don't see anything in the specs about... At least I have found it. If you <laughs>
0: scroll all the way down to the bottom of the specs there, you'll see at the very end is the recording time, and it's up to 29 minutes. And, okay, so they're doing the Yeah, yep. there it is. Yeah. And uh, for those of you not familiar with it, and I'll highlight it right here, uh, the 29-minute mark, uh, I believe it's some kind of European... Uh, tax yeah. standard right. so if a uh, device records more than a certain time frame it becomes a video camera and gets taxed at a different vat in europe 30 percent is it oh 30 wow yeah so uh, yeah it's uh amiable for most manufacturers mm-hmm. that are making these small cameras to sell them at a, a limited time recording Frame so that way they don't cross over that threshold and turn it into a more expensive device for consumers. It's kind of... It's wacky. I don't understand why that doesn't get addressed in Europe, but uh, now that they're the EU, it's kind of a little bit more complicated to come up with solutions for things like that. (laughs) Um, But this is not a political cast, so basically uh, all these cameras appear to be limited to 29 minutes of recording. So if you're doing long-format recordings with something like this, you're probably either going to want to use uh, two or three of them and have them all staggered as they start and stop recording, or you know, don't use it in general. Um, I did notice one other thing, though, and I'm going to highlight this here and bring it up so you guys can see it. It looks like there is multiple frame rates at uh, 4K on the RX100. And I was looking at the RX10, and I've got it right here. It looks like there is only a single frame rate of 30 FPS at 4K. So I wonder what's going on With that, again, the RX100 has 24, 25, and 30, while the RX10, which is the bigger brother, only has 30 FPS in the specs. That could just be a a, a mistake in the uh, specs list. A lot of times when these announcements come out, uh, they kind of just get stuff up fast, so that may be corrected in the future. But if that's the case, that is kind of an interesting little difference between the two cameras. I don't know. All right, that was the RX100. Yes, yes, we're on the 100 now. Um, you know, it's a really cool camera, 900 bucks That's pretty expensive for a super zoom point-and-shoot. But 24 to 70 is a nice zoom range. Price is pretty good. If you don't want to travel with a big DSLR or a full-size camera, either the RX10 or RX100 will probably fit the bill for a lot of things. Mitch, do you have any point-and-shoot cameras in your collection?
1: Uh, yes, I do.
0: Uh, And other than your iPhone, (laughs) other than your iPhone.
1: (laughs) Good qualification there. Uh, no, actually I don't, I don't, I have, I have one I was teasing and I, because I was cleaning my desk, I thought maybe I could look and see, I, I put it somewhere. Uh, it was, it was the one, it was, it was like, it's a decade old. Okay. It's a point (laughs) and shoot from like 15 years ago. And that's that's the camera that I found the uh memory card in, the C F card that is a uh, sixteen megabyte oh, C F yeah. card that that can't even hold one five D Mark III raw image because those come out at twenty three megabytes. So I can't even use it for a one single shot. Image. <laughs> yeah, but but I had hundreds of shots on that thing in the old days, but anyway.
0: Yeah, I, I have a few button. point shoots still in my collection um, that I hand out as danger cameras to uh, wife, children, and anybody else who you know <laughs> runs around. And I think one of them I don't even have a you can't even get a USB three card reader for it anymore. It uses uh, remember Smart Media that super yeah. skinny format that broke really easy. I've got one of those, and I think somewhere in these boxes, just as an antique collector's item, I have the original Sony uh, floppy disk camera that I bought when I was really Uh, young. So that's kind of (laughs) cool. Yeah, I was
1: was just – I'm sorry to interrupt. I was just describing what a floppy disk is to my 16-year-old. She's like, Dad, I hear this term all the time, but what is a floppy disk and why do they call it floppy? (laughs) She doesn't even know. Here's my here's my little digital power shot thing. It says 2.0 megapixels down oh, there. Oh man,
0: I think <laughs> I I might even have one of those laying around. I'll have to check my it's, my gear bags. It's a
1: PowerShot A60.
0: Yeah, that was a classic. I was a yeah, Fuji oh, guy yeah. when I when the digital cameras started getting big back in the day, but uh yeah, it brings back old memories. Being the first guy to have real pictures on the internet, man, that was so cool on GeoCities back in the day. <laughs>
1: Um, All right, as we date you're ourselves, really yourself now. Yeah. moving
0: on down the line and, <laughs> and avoiding angel fire, um, Stoney's also announced the A7R Mark II. Uh, this is a super megapixel camera. Uh, there was a bunch of rumors about everybody kicking out 50 and 40 plus megapixel sensors. Well, the A7R Mark II is a 42 megapixel sensor with 4K recording UHD, of course. Uh, supposedly, a new AF system, electronic fusion finder of course and a backlit sensor which is supposedly going to provide a couple of stops extra low light performance uh they've added an iso rating somewhere in the hundred thousand range to this camera so you know how realistic is that actually for low light performance it's a 42 megapixel sensor so i don't know how great it's going to do in low light but um some people are pretty excited about this myself i'm concerned about autofocus and mitch i noticed you post in the show notes here Autofocus uh, article from planet 5 d. What do you know about this autofocus system is it? you think it's going to be any better than and I'm holding it up right now. This is the a7s. This is a great camera for video, but the AF system is fairly lacking uh, even ah. with native lenses it's it makes my 6 d look like the fastest thing on the planet 5 d <laughs>
1: Uh, I, well, you know, it's all speculation at this point because nobody's really gotten their hands on one for sure. For sure. We've seen a couple of articles, uh, in prototypes. If you go through to the planet 5d article, and I know I sprung that on you early this morning, there are a couple of videos down there. And one of them is a Sony video where they got a guy in a race car me, going out on a motorcycle, a motorcycle. Not a race car, a motorcycle. Um, and, and they show the quote unquote uh, autofocus. Now, I don't know if they actually filmed this, you know, because it's showing the green autofocus points as yeah. this motorcycle's racing around. Is that faked or is that real? I don't know. They seem to make it look pretty good. However, the really interesting part of that article was not necessarily video, but the biggest complaint. Many of us, including me, have about the A7S is that if you want to shoot stills and you want to use your Canon lenses, then you got to buy the Metabones adapter and the combination of Canon lenses and the Metabones adapter for stills on the A7S is like worse than this, at least in my opinion, than this old power shot because you yeah, push it's the button slow and you focus, right? Well, according to the DP review, uh, somebody found in the notes in one of the comments section that somebody had tested the, the metabones adapter on the new a seven R two. These names are going to kill me. <laughs> uh, and that it was very surprisingly fast uh, for stills. So that could be a good development. Obviously it's an, I mean, this was just announced two days ago, so we're still speculating uh, And until we really see for sure and anybody gets their hands on one and really just dives into it. It's it's kind of confusing to me, frankly, because my understanding was that the A7S was going to be sort of a video camera, right? Yeah. And the A7R was going to be sort of a photography camera.
0: Yeah, the R was for resolution, right?
1: Right. And so now here we are kind of blurring the lines again even in sony where we've got this brand new high megapixel high iso one hundred two thousand is pretty good it's got the backlit sensor and i actually included by the way it was you know i've heard of backlighting sensors before but i didn't really totally understand what was going on so i looked up an article excuse me that explains exactly what's Going on there, so if you want to know more about why backlighting is better than front lighting or whatever they want to call it, a normal CMA, uh, CMOS sensor, then check the link out. But I not It's it's all kind of blurry at this point as to which camera is supposed to be doing what. I don't. I mean, what's what's the differentiator between the A7S and the A7R 2 I don't get it.
0: Well, I think. Right now, the difference between the S, the R, and the plain-jane A7 is feature set. The uh, S is low-light capability, and uh, even if the A7R has all these upgrades, I probably it probably won't compete with the low-light performance of the A7S. And the A7 got the image stabilization built in. So they're differentiating with the image stabilization, high-resolution, and low light sensitivity and they're still kind of keeping that in line because I, as far as i read down the specs list i didn't see image stabilization that five axis image stabilization is it in the A, a7r yes oh well yes. then uh, scratch that one off the list i got nothing i got nothing <laughs> at all is yeah, it... i was
1: just patiently waiting for you to get through that no yeah no i'm like yeah down, it's in man. here I
0: I, did, I looked I mean, through the article okay. and I didn't see anything. So maybe I missed it. Five axis. So the
1: A7S is the only one that doesn't have it yet. So that would be coming in the A7S Mark II. Right? Hmm.
0: Um.
1: But oh yeah, yeah, this is the new.
0: There it is. Yeah. Five axis, uh, steady shot, inside stabilization. Never
1: mind. Yes, sir. <laughs> yes, sir. So that's 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 there. Oh. And and of course the question becomes, Canon. Hello, Canon. Uh, actually, interestingly enough, and I, I probably should link this as well, Canon Rumors has an article that they're hearing rumors that Canon is thinking about doing a backlit sensor. They weren't talking about stabilization yet, but maybe the next Canon will have a backlit sensor as well.
0: Do we want to explain backlit sensors real quick while we're kind of on the subject? Do you... Do you know how to explain it really well? Uh, yeah, it's pretty simple, actually. <laughs> uh, okay. So in the old days, the original design of, of the sensor, the uh, wiring package or the, the control system that came off of each of the individual photodiode sites was located on top. And the reason for that is because it was easier to make the photodiode layer, and then they use uh, a laser etching system. It's basically lithography to put the second layer, which is the trace layer that brings all the information off of those onto the second part. Well, because of that, the light has to travel through a layer that doesn't really do anything to get to the photodiodes. Now, when they do the reverse version, the backlight... uh, Version. Basically, what they're doing is they're reversing that. So they're bringing the photodiodes to the foreground and they're bringing the wiring package, the uh, connections to all those photodiode sites to the background. And by doing that, they allow more light into the sensor and into each individual uh, photodiode site. And that's pretty much it. I mean... I know they call it backlight, and when you hear that, you think, "Oh, well, there must be like a secret light going on behind there that is like right. I- illuminating it." But that's not the case. They're basically going from front to, or from the wiring package being in front to the wire package being in back, and that's why they change the name from front to, you know, backlight. So that's all that's really happening. And when you do that, you uh, take away one extra layer that the light has to travel through. And so then the sensors and individual photodiode sites get more light in general. How do you, does, that, does that sound like a fairly simple explanation of it, Mitch?
1: Yes. Yeah, that matches what I was reading this morning in detail. And, and yes, it is confusing that they use that kind of phrase because I mean, it used to be, uh, and maybe I was always confused in the first place to begin with, uh, but you know, like backlit, um, monitors would add sort of a change, I think in the way the lighting worked and I don't know, maybe I just, maybe I should just be quiet because <laughs> now I understand thanks to you.
0: Um, so that technology does allow more light in and it's a great, uh, boon for any kind of sensor. Um, if Canon moves to that, that would take something like the 5d Mark three and turn it into an even better low light beast, which would bring it probably closer to what you get out of the a seven S Before a long time, Canon was kind of the best low-light performance cameras uh, out there. You know, 5D Mark II and Mark III were great. And then when the A7S came out, it basically just plowed them under. And they haven't really, (laughs) you know, they haven't really recovered it. Is there anything in Canon's line, even in the uh, 1D series, that can compete with the low-light performance of the A7S? No,
1: nothing. Uh, Not in the video cameras, not in the DSLRs. Not to say that Canon's got bad stuff, right? They still have good good cameras and people are still buying the crap out of them, but it's nothing like the A7S in terms of low light.
0: Yeah, and even the um, C100 and C300 and C500, those were heralded as some of the best low light performance cameras available when they were released. And then when the A7 came out, uh, what, a year and a half or two years ago now? Uh, it basically was like, okay, here's this, but now... Another level up is the a seven s and uh, this is you know now I think they're down to nineteen hundred dollars or eighteen hundred dollars whereas the uh c three hundred and c five hundred and c one hundred mark two are still in the four thousand plus range so that's kind of disappointing um The other thing I want to complain about before we move on to the the rest <laughs> of the show notes here is the screen so Sony has, for some reason, I don't know what the heck is wrong with them, decided that the only flip-out screen you ever need is this thing right here. And, great, so I can flip my screen, rotate it like this, uh, some of them even go up and flip over the top. I want a regular flip-out screen like you have on the GH4. I want it to come off the side... I want it to turn all the way around, I want it to go in any direction I'd like, and I want it to be easy to use. This whole weird thing right here, there's there's a few times it's handy, and I'm, I'm, I'm not going to argue with that. Like, if you're looking down like this at the camera and you're trying to get a low angle shot, that's fine. But I can do that with the flip-out screen, and now the flip-out screen, I can see what's on the camera when I'm in front of the camera as well. Or I can angle it off to the side and stand off to the side. You can't do that with the A7 series of cameras. And it doesn't appear that they've made any upgrades to that design in the A7 Mark II. And I don't know why, out of all the companies, Sony chooses to do this, like, completely different thing. Uh, Well, I do know why, because Sony just does that. That's their thing. You know... (laughs) VHS versus beta all the way forward to today. They've always done that kind of crap, but it's just frustrating that they don't add a regular flip out screen. Uh, Mitch, have you messed with any of the cameras with flip out screen? I think I've heard you actually request flip out screens on stuff before. Oh yeah. That's a pet peeve, right? It's
1: a pet peeve for me. Absolutely. And, and I have spoken many times with Canon about adding, I mean, the, the T4i, T5i, I like the flip-out touchscreen that's on those cameras. I uh, The 7D has it. Uh, they'll never, probably, ever put it on the 5D Mark IV or five or whatever because they say pros don't want a flip-out screen, and they don't want a touchscreen. I'm like, well, Red has a touchscreen, yep. magic has a touchscreen. Those don't flip out, obviously, but... Uh, And they say, and it was, it was, it was so ironic to me because I talked to Chuck Westfall. This was, well, almost, it was five years ago now, come to think of it because um, Canon does this Canon expo, right? Yeah. Uh, Every five years, which is coming up again this year, by the way. And when I interviewed Chuck Westfall at that show, I said, I asked him about flip out screens, and that was at the T1i or whenever that was just come out. And he's like, Well, we are an expert. We have done more camcorders with flip out screens, and we know how to make them. We're awesome at it. And so, I, a couple of years later, I said, Okay, uh, why don't you put that on the pro camera? I said, Well, pros don't want those because they break. And I'm like, You told me you make the best <laughs> flip out screens on the planet but yet you won't put them on a pro camera because they'll break. And I said, so I said, okay, so some pros don't want the flip out screen. So make two models, right? Make one with a flip out screen, one without, okay, big deal. Problem solved. I mean, they go and they go and make astrophotography DSLRs, right? They yep. make them specifically for this really tiny market. And they won't give me the option of putting a flip out screen, a flippy dippy out screen on a, on a, pro camera and yet they're they're awesome at make, they're they're experts at making them but they're afraid that they're going to break for a pro <sighs> um oh,
0: confused well, and it's not even as though they don't have the design plans for it they've got uh their lower rebel line that has good flip out right. screens it, you know how hard would it be to make that a little more robust and move it up to the to the 6d yeah, at least exactly. or something like that exactly i don't know i don't
1: know i don't get it
0: Canon's going to do what Canon does. Same with all these other companies. Yep. A few of them have been moving Perfect. forward, like Sony and Panasonic. Uh, Canon is still not moving as fast as the rest. So hopefully something new will come from them. I'm still not super excited about that uh, video camera announcement they had before either. So I don't know what's going to happen to Canon.
1: Well, a lot of people, by the way, are you know really whining about Canon not producing a mirrorless camera. And uh, I wish I had the link in front of me right but now. They did and I,
0: though. I you up. had the EOS or the uh, EOS um, M, which was a right. mirrorless camera, and it was right. basically junk yeah. for photography.
1: <laughs> yes, um, I mean, on the lines of an A7S or something, for example, right? Oh, something nice. Yeah, yeah. That, yeah, that might yeah, be yeah, hard. Yeah. Uh, but if, if but I saw a chart the other day, and I'm sorry I don't have it in front of me. What that showed dslr sales versus mirrorless sales and mirrorless was like less than a fifth of what sales are so dslrs are still selling much more than mirrorless cameras in the upper price ranges and so you know canon's looking at those figures going well the market still hasn't said they really want that yet and i know people say to me all the time Mitch, I'm I'm sick of Canon. Canon's not meeting my needs. I'm going to go buy Sony, and Canon's kind of like, okay, go. You know, they're they're not really ready because they don't believe that the market's there. I mean, they're finally just getting to 4K. Most people, again, still most people aren't shooting 4K. We talk about 4K all the time, but the vast majority of projects are still shot in HD. So, you know, people complain they want the newest stuff. I had a guy write me just the other day say, Mitch. Should I go switch over to Sony because they're doing so much better stuff? I said, well, I know people are still making movies on 5D Mark II's. OK, they didn't even upgrade to the 5D Mark III. Yeah. Do you have to have Do you have to have that latest super duper thing just because everybody else says you do? No. Go shoot a movie with what you've got. Right.
0: Yeah, and that's absolutely right. I still have T2i's that I shoot on on a regular basis in my collection. I have latest and greatest cameras. Don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm part of that problem. But you don't need it. Uh, you know, 4K is not the end-all, be-all if you can create a cinematic look with any camera. And, in fact, I was just explaining this on a previous podcast to Devin. I prefer the sort of, like, soft look that I get out of the 5D Mark III to the GH4. Because the GH4 look is a little bit sterile, and I actually add some softening to it to make it look a little bit better. And, I, you know, there was all, when the 5D Mark III came out and the new cameras started coming out, you had people complaining uh, to high heaven about the resolution and what what it was doing with the pixels, and, like, they were zooming in, they're saying, well, you're not really getting a 1080p image, you're getting some other smaller version of that, and they're expanding, and it doesn't look good. Well, maybe, but when I look at it, it looks freaking nice to me. I like it. I'm happy with my image. I, I use it all the time. And when I want something to look warm and like feel like the color is just popping a little bit, I I use my 5D Mark III. When I need to shoot something and I'll just mess around with it in post, I use the GH4. It's too sharp. It's too sterile. And it's not as like lively looking as Canon products. I'm not a Canon fanboy. I'm not a Panasonic <laughs> fanboy. It's just what looks good to me. And people seem to agree. I don't get any complaints from clients when I bring in 5D Mark III footage. They're like, no one says, oh, my gosh, this should be in 4K, and I need it yeah. now. They're just like, that looks great. Thanks for doing a yeah. good job.
1: Exactly. It is so true. So true. Now,
0: I don't know. on <laughs> that color science note, and I'm going to use that as a transition. Sorry to cut you off, Mitch. Uh, VLog... Firmware update for the Panasonic GH4 has been spotted in the wild... And I'm going to bring up the image here so everybody can see this. If you're watching instead of listening, uh, this was actually on the camera store website. Uh, Jordan from uh, TCSTV uh, posted this, and it looks like uh, they've leaked to him a vlog version of the Panasonic GH4 firmware. Uh, no idea yet if this will be free, when it'll be coming out, but. It is out in the wild uh for those of you' not familiar with it, vlog was what people were expecting in the last firmware update and didn't get it's a flat image style that allows you a little bit more grading options in post and with that sort of thing, you can bring the g h four image quality out of the camera up to standards with the pan or with the Canon five d mark III as far as color and look goes, although DJ is often too lazy to do so. So uh, <laughs> what do you think about uh, the V-Log added to the GH4? I,
1: I think if that happens, that will make many people very happy because uh, I know that people are expecting some kind of a log system in the Panasonic's. Um, and you say, you mentioned the 5D Mark III, but it actually doesn't even have the C-log that Canon has. That's only in the the 5D or the 1DC and the C-100s and stuff. So it can't even shoot with the quote-unquote really flat profile, the log profile in 5D Mark III. But like you say, most people just grab the 5D Mark III and shoot anyway, right? Yeah, that's uh, my um,
0: guilty pleasure.
1: So. Uh, well, let me ask you the question: Do you shoot with a standard profile, or do you shoot with it flat? Or, I mean, so you're—I guess the question is: Do you want to do post processing or not? Um,
0: I tend to, unless I have a project that specifically allots time for me to do color grading in post and and spend that extra amount of time on it. I generally, I have a little bit of a custom setup, but it's it's basically your standard setup plus a little bit of de-sharpening, and that's about right. it, really. And I don't do right. much in post as far as uh, grading goes. You know, I make sure that I get my uh, light color ratings correct before I start shooting, and then I just go, and, and that's it. Um, I do run into some issues, and I do have to do a little bit of pushing back and forth, because... For whatever reason, one 5D Mark II and another 5D or well, 5 Mark three and a 5D Mark three on the same set, even set to, like, 5,000 Kelvin, I get a little bit of difference between the two. So I have right. to tweak one versus the other. But otherwise, if I'm shooting one camera, I don't even, you know, if it looks good in screen and on my monitor, when I get back to post, uh-huh. I, I do very little to it. Maybe it'll push the color curves yeah. a little bit or something like that. Uh that's so much work to do, and it takes a lot of time. I'm working on a grade right now for a 20-minute uh, a short film, and they've changed their mind like four times. And every time they change their mind <laughs> on the color grade, it takes me... A day to go through and build a new color palette, adjust everything, get it all put together, and it sucks. It it's painful. It's boring as hell. You don't really accomplish anything. You already have the cut. It's not like you're really editing. You're just sitting there like, tweak this knob, tweak this, tweak this, okay. Uh-huh. That and what do you think of this, guys? Um, yeah, it's a little too warm. Can you make it cooler? Like, okay. Uh, here you go and it's just that over and over again and it's very frustrating for me to do so I avoid it at all costs if I can and I know that's not the proper way to go I know I should be shooting flat style and grading (laughs) and everything else but it's the same thing with shooting raw like you can go shoot raw on a Blackmagic pocket camera or any of those cameras and Great. You shot raw. Now, what do you do with it? You have to process all that stuff. You've just added like 10 extra steps to something that could be go straight to post, edit and kick it out the door and move on to something else. I- I don't know. Not to
1: mention file sizes. right? Yeah,
0: exactly. Storage and yeah. all the other headaches to go right. along with that. Um, and you can, yeah. there are people that have gone through and done a bunch of stuff to set up a, as flat a image uh, profile as possible for the 5D Mark III. Uh, the guys over right. at ProLoss did have a great little post on that with the settings and everything, and you can do it if you want. But that means that your image out of the camera, you can't, publish it right away, you're going to have to grade it. It's almost required when you're shooting flat style to go through and fix it and get it to where you want it before you send it out the door, and that's more work. Uh, Do you get paid for that work? Well, if you can get paid for it, that's awesome. But if you can't and you're expected (laughs) to turn around things in a day or two days, then maybe that's not even worth doing, and you just make sure that it looks good before you go and do very little tweaking in post. Uh, Mitch, do you have anything to add to that? I mean, that's a long-winded rant from me, so... Uh,
1: I th- I think it's uh, not only Sony day, but it's rant day. <laughs> yeah, no joke. You and I have both been talking about stuff that we don't like. Oh, so, no, I'm going to I'm going to just zip it right there. <laughs>
0: Okay, so anyway, Vlog may be coming to Panasonic cameras in the future. Uh, you can swing over Woo-hoo! to the show notes and check out the stills image. Uh, you can find Jordan on Twitter under TCSTV. Jordan, I believe I should have written that down. Sorry, man. Um, moving on, <gasps> I got two last things that I want to throw in here before we wrap up the show. And the first one is is spam from Windows. Uh, this, uh, If you're uh-huh. a Windows user, and this uh, doesn't bother Mitch at all, because he's not, um, basically what they're up to right now is you're supposed to get a free upgrade for Windows 10. And... In the latest release package, uh, Windows basically inclu- or Microsoft basically included a little spam icon at the bottom of your toolbar that pops up every so often that says "Congratulations!" and I can actually bring it up right here so you can take a look. It's just this annoying thing right here that you know, says "Reserve your copy, install, and enjoy." Well why why do you do this to me this is obnoxious i don't like it i don't want it on my desktop i'm constantly trying to like ignore it i think it's some sort of notification and i know i can remove it it was a service pack that was added in one of the last updates but it's very frustrating and what i wanted to bring up about that is so you can transfer now to a copy of windows 10 but do you get an actual license and what happens if you want to reformat your computer and install later Do you get to keep your copy of Windows 10? If I trash this computer I'm at right now and move on to another system, do I get to transport that over to another system? Is that even an option? Like This is so vague and so weird, Like I don't even know what's going on, and it's very frustrating to me. So on top of spamming me, they're also not giving me like a clear idea of what the path forward will be for me to migrate to Windows 10 and stay on Windows 10. Is this just to increase the numbers for install on Windows 10? I don't know. And that's another rant. I'm sorry.
1: Yes, it's a rant. Here's here's what I have to say for you, DJ. Crickets. Yeah. Uh, actually, um, I did a little research while I was uh, getting ready this morning, and I found an article for you that says, yes, Microsoft has confirmed that you can do a clean install of Windows 10 after upgrading Uh, there is some, still some question about whether or not that, uh, you know, if you change processors or SSDs, if you read the comments, people still are asking a whole bunch of stuff. Uh, but I'll, I'll post this link in the show notes so you can read it.
0: Thank you, Mitch. Um,
1: this one's been
0: something that's bothering me while I'm in the midst of a move. So I have not had time to dive deep on it. Uh if you see the boxes behind me, basically, like I just barely got this set up, got real internet, I'm not on cell phone internet anymore, which is really nice, and then I see this in the corner, I'm just like Grr. what what exactly what? um uh, the last thing on the list here, and then we'll wrap up the show since I got to go to work soon, uh, is actually, what? yeah, I took a day job. Long story. Um, So 16 megapixels, <laughs> maximum <laughs> upload limit for Google Photos, uh, and unlimited storage. So I know uh, we've talked about Amazon before and their photo service. We've talked about uh, Flickr and a few others that have added things. Google has basically just opened the floodgates. 16 megapixels. I'm pretty happy with that as a backup medium. Uh, Mitch, is that enough for you to go unlimited for free?
1: I We're going to have an article on Planet 5D someday soon um, because it's an interesting story. By the way, you can upload photos that are larger than 16 megapixels to you... down-res them.
0: Yep, yep, exactly.
1: Uh, so that's just a little caveat there that that a lot of people haven't seen. I think it's... It's very interesting concept. Um, it seems to me, and maybe I'm confused, but I was I thought I was reading that if you wanted more space, like over a terabyte, you had to pay for it. But um, maybe I'm confused. I think it's uh, I was reading about something else.
0: Yeah, I think it's limited but, for images. As long as you stay under the 16 megapixel threshold, if you want to go larger, it'll eat into your uh, your Google Drive storage space. So right. you can go unlimited that way and I have been testing this I since I got an internet connection Uh, yeah and in fact let me show you this is the coolest part in my opinion the storage part is awesome but it's just kind of like a whatever but this photo assistant thing is crazy easy to use and really awesome like these are just random things that it's already put together for me and I have all kinds of stuff You know, like, look at that parrot eating. That's the, what, really? Like, oh, there's a guy eating. Why is he eating? You know, my wife, dogs, (laughs) all kinds of stuff. But what's really cool, and let me see if I can find it here, they have face detection, let's see, in collections. Yes. And so you can just, you can pick someone's face and bring up anything you want, and it's organized, like, everything for me. And the biggest problem I have with uh storage and i'm showing like personal photos here so uh you know some of this stuff isn't really uh, i hope there's no not internet safe things in here um okay but uh but basically what's really exciting about that is managing your entire collection of photos is a tough thing to do and trying to you know gather up images that have the same person in it or events or whatever and What Google does with the Google Assistant in uh, Google Photos is it basically, like, automates everything, and it can get a little bit wacky. Um, Sometimes it'll combine things that were shot with multiple cameras on the same date in different locations and bond them together, so you'll end up with stuff like, uh, my wife was taking pictures for Craigslist, and I was taking some photos in the park, and it created a montage of those two together, which is a little weird. But for the most part, Mm -hmm. like, the ability to just click on someone's face and go through... 10,000 or 20,000 photos of your collection and find all the photos with their face or close enough. That is really remarkable. Uh, I was blown away by how good photo assistant is in general. And I'm really excited about it. I I don't know. I don't know what else to say on it.
1: (laughs) Well, I, I find that interesting because when we were talking about the upgrade to Lightroom. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, there was a topic there about how they've added facial recognition. And I remember hearing a whole lot of sounds like uh, crickets. From yeah. You and now you're pretty excited about this. So that's interesting.
0: Yeah. So facial I've changed my note 100%. I've yeah. gone all the way around. You don't think it's important. You think it's kind of stupid until you use it. And then you're like, wait a minute. Uh-huh. <laughs> yep. You sold yeah. me. Okay. Yeah. I right. okay, I will good. eat my humble pie um, now.
1: dude." Uh, what kind of upload speed do you have on your new internet connection there?
0: Um, I've got by f- the way. uh 40 up and uh 10 down. Oh my God. So it's not amazing, but it's not bad. I went from a business class before I had a hundred Back- down.
1: You said 40 up and 10 down. No
0: uh, backwards. I got that backwards. 40 down okay. and 10 up. Thank you.
1: Okay.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: like, Whoa. That's weird. Um, yeah. Cause I'm stuck at five up and it's, It's bothering me right now because I'm having trouble getting a couple of things uploaded. But anyway, so I was just curious to see what you had on your new setup.
0: Yeah, what was really awesome in the old studio is I was in a downtown business building, so I was able to get business class. And I think I maxed out at 100 if I wanted, but I was using 60 and 10 up, which was really nice for uploads you don't really think about uploading stuff until you have to, you know, send a client uh, a three gig file, and then one or two yeah. megs up is just god awful. Yeah. Even five megs is a little yeah. bit painful.
1: Yep, I know, I know. Believe me, because I'm uploading some stuff right now, and I had to turn it off because I was going to do this show. Oh, this is Midge? Oh man, guess what? I'm I'm going to move on for you because I know you need to leave. Guess okay. what came in the mail yesterday? Oh, what do you got? Ooh the road link wireless that, kit from road i'm gonna lock
0: it on you so i can look at that beautiful thing some more
1: <laughs> i am interested box, to see right? how that works box. man <laughs> oh that's just the empty box <laughs> but now i actually have the real box but it's i found it rather interesting that they come in this this really cute little box it's nice and blue and they're upside down really yeah, see the the labels, you know, everything is pictured here, but then in the box, they're actually upside down. I don't know why they shipped it that way, because they're both that way. Huh? So I haven't even taken it out of the box, because I want to do an unboxing, and I'm going to do that today. So uh, I'm very excited to do system out from Rode. Uh, I've seen a couple of reviews, a couple of people have gotten their hands on them, and they are just like really excited. Yeah, that uh, uh,
0: that thing looks pretty sweet.
1: Especially with the fact that it's doing uh, this automatic uh, signal uh, on channel uh, so that you don't have to worry about if you're getting some interference with other devices. So I really want to test out. I know Dave Dugdale's really always been pissed off at at, at Rode mics because when he uses his phone near his Rode microphones, they tend to get a little crackly. And so I'm going to see if there's any interference from my phone. But... A lot of people are really excited about this. So I'm excited to have one too.
0: Now, if I remember correctly, that was Wi-Fi frequency that was being used in that um you'll have to test that in a high Wi-Fi in uh right. density environment. And let me know how it turns out cuz I haven't had any time to really experiment or do testing for the last uh, couple of months being in hotel life.
1: Yeah. Um, actually there is, we just published or are going to publish a, a B and H did a review and they actually tested it in their store where they have a whole bunch of Wi-Fi going and all that kind of stuff. And it worked really well in their store. So that might be the best test yet.
0: Well, on that note, guys. I think I've got to get out of here. I'm looking at the time. Yes, I yeah. do. Um, yeah, so I thanks for listening to another exciting episode of DSR Film New Podcast. Mitch, where can people find you?
1: We can be found over planet 5 and my home site, PlanetMitch.com. Thank you, sir.
0: No problem. You can find this show on iTunes, on SoundCloud, and on YouTube and anywhere else. Podcasts are distributed. Thanks again, Mitch, for showing up and hanging out with me early in the morning. I apologize for the static. There is some grounding issues here. On that note, thanks for listening to another exciting episode of DSLR Film Noob Podcast. No music, no music, no music. There it is. Oh, we got it.